Hello, everyone, and welcome to another ADRA Canada Insider podcast. We're so glad you've joined us. We have an episode today that I think that you will really enjoy. But uh, before we get into it, let's find out who we have here today. Kayla. I'm back. And Michael is back as well. All right. Thank you for joining us, uh, Michael and Kayla. We really appreciate you helping us out on this podcast. And uh, also, we have a guest. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Cree Rillo, and I'm with Adder Canada up in Sioux Lookout. In Sioux Lookout. Okay. Well, today's podcast, I said, would be special because... You know, whenever we travel in, across Canada, camp meetings in different places, a question that we're often asked is, does ADRA Canada work in Canada? And so today we're going to talk about some of the work that uh, is starting uh, with our First Nations. And the first thing that we usually like to do with our guest, Cree, is ask them a little bit about their life story. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, so I was born in the Philippines and then I moved to Toronto when I was 27, 28 years old okay. for school. And then I decided to stay here after that. Canada's not that bad, I guess. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> well, I'm liked glad you it, think so. except for the winter. But <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, we agree. Right? Yes. So this was your first experience with snow? Yes. Here. Oh, where, did, where did you go to school? Seneca College, yeah, for the environmental technician program. Okay. Yeah, so I was really into the save the world from climate change (laughs) field back then. So I also did um, my grad school in the Philippines for environmental social science. So how'd you end up in Sulukout? It was actually just last year when I first heard about Sulukout. If you don't know where Sulukout is, it's in between Winnipeg and Thunder Bay. So it's quite north. It's about 24-hour, 25-hours drive from Toronto. Driving. You can drive Driving. there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. yes. I've been up to Sioux Lookout now mm-hmm. twice, and most people, when they talk about going to the city, they talk about going to Winnipeg. So if they need to go to Ikea or go to Costco, they drive mm-hmm. to Winnipeg, and that's the closest city. And it's you said right. four hours away, right? Five hours. Five hours, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. And how is that trip? Is How are the roads? Uh, the roads are pretty good, actually, even in the winter they they plow the roads really yeah. well. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Sulukout is a small town, it's just 5,000 for population. For those who have never traveled to Sulukout, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like there? Well, it's definitely not like Toronto, where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> There's no public transportation, no traffic lights. Small town, like I, I would just walk to the post office, the how, grocery how stores. How many people would you say live there? In town... It's really like the 5,000 population is really like spread out. But in town, I don't know, maybe 200, something like that. Okay. Um, Only 200 in the town itself. It seems like it's a really small town. (laughs) There's no traffic or rush hour. A lot of American tourists Mm. in the summertime. Uh, Yes, for fishing. Um, some they also have this blueberry festival and no McDonald's, (laughs) no Walmart. And um, the groceries are, the items are a bit more expensive than usual, especially for um, fruits and vegetables. Because Mm -hmm. of the distance. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I understand that you were also uh, working for some type of a clinic up there. Is that right? Um, Well, this clinic was just like a five-day clinic. So just backtracking a bit, when I first moved there, uh, I worked as a pharmacy assistant. Um, After working as a a pharmacy assistant for about six months. I volunteered with ADRA Canada because that's when Nick Roan had started working with ADRA Canada as a volunteer as well for uh, potential projects for the First Nations there. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So are there a number of different First Nation tribes? I believe they're mostly Ojibwe or Ojibwe-speaking tribes, but um, there are about at least 30 communities served by Sioux Lookout. So uh, many of these communities do not have like hospitals or high schools, government offices, and things like that. So they would fly to Sioux Lookout for their needs. So there's no roads into these different reservations. Most of them are drivable only in the winter. So the frozen lakes, ice roads. (laughs) Yeah, ice roads. But normally they just fly. So the airports there, the airport there is quite busy. Um, They they have really small planes, but they do have regular flights to these northern communities. And Michael, you went on one of these, right? I did, yes. Okay, tell uh, us a little bit about... So uh, it was back in June. I had previously been to Sioux Lookout and I drove to Lac Sul, which is a drive-in community. It's about an hour uh, outside of Sioux Lookout. But uh, my most recent trip, we, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, to travel with Cree and Nick, um, as well as our emergency program director, Anita and, mm. and Laura. And we chartered a plane and flew up to Bearskin Lake, which is a two-hour flight north of Sioux Lookout, quite a ways north. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the farthest I've ever been north yeah. of Ontario. If you look on the map, we were closer to Hudson's Bay than we were to to Sioux Lookout itself. Okay. So yeah. we were we were a ways up there. Yeah, you land and there are no roads coming in except for the, the ice roads, which you obviously can't see at this time of year. And gravel runway and gravel roads all through town and horse flies bigger than I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) They were so big. (laughs) So, and they just kind of swarmed the car. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like that all the time, but when we were there, there was definitely a lot of horse flies. Mm -hmm. So the Bearskin Lake is the reserve where we did the clinic. It's basically called the Diabetes Management and Practical Education Program. So it's for people who would like to reverse their diabetes and manage their diabetes well through lifestyle changes. Okay. Is that a real problem up there, the diabetes? Uh, yeah. So, for example, in, in Bearskin Lake, their population is at least 400. And according to their diabetes worker, back in 2013, there were about at least 80 people who have diabetes. Oh, my. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she thinks it has increased up to now. It's not just accurately recorded, but it seems like there's more people getting amputations or even dying from diabetes. Even children have diabetes, too. And what is this attributed to? Mostly diet? Yes, diet and also other factors that lead into this, the, the diet, because it's really hard to get produce up there. It's expensive, um, and it's also hard to grow there because of the weather Mm-hmm. And, and the soil. Yeah, a really short growing season. Can you give us right. an example of like how much some fresh food would cost in a grocery store up there? Yeah, so we went to a store there and their produce section is actually really, really small. <laughs> For example, the bell peppers, they would be like $15 a pound. Wow. A head of lettuce for about... Eight to ten dollars mm. for one head, and it doesn't even look that fresh. It's kind of yeah. like wilted, and most of the stuff would just be like canned goods, uh, frozen meat, or you know, TV dinners. So all of the vegetables have to be flown in on one of these small planes from Sioux Lookout. Is that kind of the idea? Right. Yes, and um, with the freight, well, we took some vegetables with us, so we had to pay like ninety-nine cents a pound plus tax. So we had to choose, I guess, the lightest vegetables that we could bring. (laughs) When I was up there, I was talking to the health 
director from mm-hmm. Bearskin Lake, and he told me that at, at its most expensive, a head, of, a head of lettuce got up to $27 for a head of lettuce. Wow. Does anybody buy it when it gets that high? Uh, I, I <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, also what the, what the participants of the clinic told us was that the problem is once the store notices a trend in terms of like if something is getting more uh, purchased, like a specific item, the price would increase next week. Mm-hmm. And then the week after that, and then when no one buys it anymore, they would bring down the price. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, Ta- the taking the, lo- <laughs> the laws of supply and demand exactly. way too literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my! So are there a lot of um, like sodas that uh, the children are buying that they mm-hmm. would they would develop diabetes? Yeah. Least? What is contributing right. to that? Yeah. So um, they they like chips. Like all the foods expensive, but there are cheaper foods that are more affordable for them. And these are like, um, aside from the chips, would be uh, the juice. And then also the, um, they call it click. It's like spam, like processed food, you know, oh, hot okay. dogs yeah. and those things. So it's it's really high in fat, um, not so, a lot yeah. of fiber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you do a clinic and are teaching health principles, how is your message being received by the local people? At first, we were really anxious to know how they would take, you know, the information that we're sharing because basically what we wanted to let them know is that diabetes can be reversed. And a lot of them were shocked when we told them that because they had no idea. They thought it was just like, you know, it's cancer, it's hard to cure, and once you have it, you're that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were really happy to know that it can be reversed. So we talked to them about um, ways on how to reverse it, including exercise and also um, some dietary changes. So that's, you know, a lot of fiber, less processed food, less fat, less less sugar or processed sugar. When we did the program, each day actually consists of uh, a cooking demo, and then we all eat together after that. So during the first meal, the Monday, um, everyone was just silent while they were eating the food. Uh, we served, what was it, veggie meatloaf <laughs> made of oats, you know, the good stuff. <laughs> and there was A good some, Adventist meal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the brown rice and salad with the sprouts and the microgreens. So um, they were really quiet for the first two minutes, and we were just, like, watching and nervous, you know, <laughs> because there was no response until someone... Um, actually said, this is actually good. Mm. And then like, whew, what a relief. <laughs> Glad you like it. So yeah, um, they actually received it well. Um, the next day they were telling us, wow, the food you gave us, um, usually they would get hungry around like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. and, you know, be hungry for dinner. But some of them said they just had some toast for supper and soup and they weren't hungry at all. Whoa. So it was really filling, and, and they, they felt good about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were just glad that they received it well. Normally, a day would start with exercise. So we'd have about 30 minutes of exercise. At first, not a lot of them showed up, but um, I guess it, they finally just started to like trickle in by Wednesday, and there's more um, joining mm-hmm. us by Wednesday. And then um, it, we also taught them how to actually use the, the gym, like lift weights. Um, so uh, most of the participants are actually ladies, like older ladies. And some of them had like arth- arthritis, back pains, knee pains. And 
I guess they were both nervous and hesitant to do the the gym thing because they have they saw the weights and they're like humongous, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, really, really intimidating. <laughs> All the iron in there, yeah. and it's pretty cool because the place where we did it, it's a youth complex, and the gym was just in there. There's one room full of like weights, so we taught them how to use the dumbbells and other equipment there, and it was really cool because you you see them and they didn't say no. They were also excited to try it, even if they know that they probably can't carry the weights, but they were able to. And so after that, one lady was saying before the weightlifting training, she couldn't clasp her right hand, but after the gym session, she was able to clasp oh, it, wow. and she was really amazed. A week later, like after we left, they sent us a picture of of them using the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually went back because we encouraged them to, you know, get together. Um, you know, do this together and work out together, cook together, and all that. Become their own accountability partners. Exactly. Yeah, we have a fa- Facebook group page, like a private one, where we can all answer questions. Mm. They can ask nice. questions, great. post pictures, and we can continue to share recipes and stuff. So like there's that. internet up there. There's yes, yeah, so they actually surprisingly they they're very active in social media. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So after the exercise, we do the the cooking demo, which is an interactive and uh, participative one. So we would show them the recipe and each of us would help each one of the participants follow a recipe so someone would take care of the appetizer one would be taking care of the main course and then another for the dessert and another for the salad mm-hmm. so uh, we worked alongside with them so they can actually experience you know using the blenders um, dealing with stranger ingredients like they've some of them uh, have never uh, seen quinoa before or um, chickpeas and mm. you know the simple things even avocado for example so we cooked together and then we also ate together and then in the afternoons we would have like workshops like how to read labels and, and you know food packages and looking at the ingredients what to look out for what to you know what to buy and how to strategize your meal planning also workshops on how to take care of your wound if you're diabetic to avoid um, amputations and then we also talked about how to prevent reverse diabetes like exercise guidelines and and stuff like that we introduced sprouting and microgreens so sprouting is essentially uh, putting you know seeds in the jar and then you put water and rinse it twice a day and then it grows in like four or five days and then you can add it to your soup to your salad your sandwich and then the microgreens, it's, it's kind of like a, a more advanced version of the sprouting because it uses soil. Uh, the cool thing about that is you can grow it indoors. So we brought four sets of uh, microgreen kits with us, and we set them up in is it two offices. Yeah, two offices. The, the office of the, the diabetes worker, the office of the home care manager, and then two other individual homes. So basically, you plant them in a tray, and then it also comes with an indoor light. And then it grows in like two weeks. And then after that, you can plant another batch. The cool thing about that is um, microgreens are really nutritious. So for example, the broccoli microgreens, if you take one cup of that and you take one cup of regular broccoli, the nutritional um, content of the microgreens is actually about at least five times higher than the regular adult broccoli. Mm. So even if you're missing out on all the vegetables because it's expensive, you kind of like make up for the nutrients and they can grow it all year round as well. So we gave them a supply of six months worth of seeds so they can continue and plant their own. That's awesome. I'm learning something here too. This is awesome. (laughs) Uh, In order to power the lights, uh, what 
what's the electricity options up there? Is it quite expensive in these yes, areas? Yes, it's more expensive. Uh, however, the light requirement is just a regular fluorescent light. Uh-huh. As long as it's a T8, it's like $25. And then even if, it, let's say, you put it by the window, you don't even have to use the lights. It's usually for just basements or okay. during the winter if it's really dark. Right. But um, you can just put the microgreens by the window and you don't even need lights. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how did they receive that idea? Everybody want a kit? (laughs) Yeah, they were excited. Not uh, a lot of them wanted the kit, but we had to choose carefully who to give it to because it does require, you know, you have to clean the trays, make sure it doesn't grow mold and make sure you have actual space in your house to do that. So they were all excited about it because when we set it up in in the the clinic, we also we it's kind of like an exhibit. Um, We had already our own tray and the setup there and they can see. And we actually incorporated that in our lunch for the first day for the salad. So they were able to taste the sprouts and the microgreens themselves. And they like the taste. Um, and it's nice and crunchy. It's, it's also filling lots of fiber. And some of them wish that they would also have the kit or, you know, in their own homes. But when we left, some of them posted their microgreens growing. And they were just excited, like, (laughs) I can't wait to eat them, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, it seems like uh, they are excited about it, and I think uh, they will continue to plant them. That's great. Is the local store there having to change what they stock because of your uh, program there? I hope so. But um, one of the community members actually uh, suggested that we give a list of items that are not being sold in the store for the store to to make available for the people. So even if it's just like um, lentils, like they don't have dried lentils or chickpeas or beans there, Mm -hmm. simple things like that. Uh, Even the uh, nuts, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, Almonds, nuts, and even frozen vegetables. They don't have much of that. Right. So, yeah, so we're going to come up with a list, and then we will try to uh, coordinate with the oh, yeah, co-op sounds, store there. That sounds great. I mean, most of the things you mentioned there are very compact, mm. and uh, they don't spoil like a head of lettuce would. Mm-hmm. So very practical things to bring in and very healthy and part of the regime that you would want them to get involved in to help mm-hmm. reverse this diabetes problem. Right. I'm curious to know what people do for a living up there. How can they afford uh, such high prices on food? Yeah, that's another interesting thing. Um, when we asked during the clinic how much they spend on groceries, they said, well, they first of all, they, gro- they do grocery shopping every day. Um, so that's one thing that we wanted to teach them was meal planning for the week. And they said that they spend at least $100 per day for Whoa. groceries. $100. Right. It's... Probably because they also have a lot of people in the household and also because of the the prices. And a lot of them are on welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of employment there. Well, there would be, I guess, the band office and then there's a school. Uh, but I know that some of the teachers are also not locals. Like They hire them from somewhere else, like down south. There might be some lumber business, but it's... It's Hunting, fishing, tour guides, anything like that? No, that? I didn't see anything touristy there. That's more out of Sulacote. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In Sulacote, but not in Bearskin Lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are on welfare, and th- that's why they're trying to save money by choosing the mo- more affordable food items. Right. So after volunteering for this clinic and uh, working for the people in this way, 
you eventually ended up being approached by ADRA, or how did you come to work for ADRA Canada? Um, yeah, so I just started volunteering, and I think that was when they were doing a needs assessment. Mm. Uh, okay. Yes, for, for the First Nation communities, for Laxul. So um, I helped out with that, just volunteering. And then I guess they decided that there should be an office there if we will be putting out all these projects for First Nations. So um, that's when they asked me if I wanted to officially work right. for them. Yeah. And so this diabetes uh, clinic is actually a project in collaboration with Adra Canada, Bearskin Lake Band Council, and Sulukout First Nations Health Authority. Okay. Well, at the office here in Newcastle, we're all so excited to hear about uh, the work opening up in uh, some First Nations locations, and we're really hoping that it will expand and grow. We are hoping that our constituency, as they hear about our work with First Nations, will be calling us in. We want to hear that phone ringing off the hook, wondering how they can partner with us and and, um, provide Uh, some financial support for some of the programs that we're starting up there. We're also, I understand, uh, working on some proposals to the government. Is that right? Tell us uh, what you are doing on that uh, end of it. Mm -hmm. So um, we are working with two um, communities right now. One is Laxul and the other is Bearskin Lake. So um, Laxul has uh, agreed to partner with us to help them with their disaster response. And so we're also trying to bring in more uh, programs for them, like uh, emergency management courses. And then for Bearskin Lake, they had agreed to partner with us to address their issues with uh, food security and also the health issues that they have in the community. So in terms of food security, we are working on some proposals that involve greenhouse gardening, especially the the greenhouse that are like all year round, like uh, in a shipping container, you know, where you can actually plant crops throughout the year or at least for 10 months a year. Wow. Yeah, because it will give, it will provide them fresher vegetables and also more affordable vegetables. So they won't have to fly it in anymore. They can just grow it right That's there right. in their own greenhouses. Yeah, and maybe even profit from it. And Adra Canada is involved in this, the greenhouse project? Yeah, we are um, writing proposals for them, um, seeking for funding. And if we do get funding, uh, we will be coordinating the projects. Okay. Uh, so right now I'm assistant field coordinator. We are communicating with um, other organizations in the area, like Sulakot First Nations Health Authority, um, contacting other organizations like Red Cross or um, agricultural organizations as well. So tell me a little bit more. I'm I'm very interested in the mm-hmm. in the greenhouses. How many greenhouses are in the proposal to build in the community? For Laxel, we sent one proposal or application for three greenhouses because okay. Laxul is composed of three communities, like sub-communities. Yeah, so each one uh, would ideally have a greenhouse attached to a, um, a school and then some gardening curriculum will be integrated in, in the school curriculum. Do you know how much a greenhouse is costing? It really depends on the size, um, but it ranges from about 90000 to about two hundred. Okay, yeah. so if one of our donors said, 
even if you don't get that proposal, or even if you do get that proposal, I want to help you make a fourth greenhouse. Is that something that you'd be able to facilitate and be interested in having? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> that would be helpful. Okay, because yeah. I, I know that there's some of our listeners out there that could do that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and even just to maintain a greenhouse too, uh, because we would need you know maintenance right. and someone who actually knows how to run a greenhouse or operate a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then people to care for the greenhouse as things go along That's right. throughout the yeah. year. Because yeah. you, you can you can have a nice greenhouse up there, but if nobody's caring for it. Exactly. Yeah. So and that, I believe that was part of it as well, was training people how to run these greenhouses and, and take care of them throughout the year. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. When I was up there, we, we had a meeting with one of the people that uh, build these, and they're really rather fascinating. They take, a, as you mentioned, a shipping container. Mm-hmm. And all of the parts for the greenhouse are shoved inside the shipping container. And then they're shipped up to wherever they need to be. So if at like Luxul, you can drive in or Bearskin Lake, they would wait until the roads freeze right. and then they can drive it up there on the back of a truck. They offload it and then they take everything out. And the greenhouse goes on the front of the shipping container and the back of the shipping container becomes where you grow the seedlings. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then as they get bigger, you move them out into the greenhouse. So. It's yeah. a yeah. It's an all-in-one package. Yeah. yeah, and it's really designed for um, the northern climate. Mm-hmm. And this could reverse a lot of diabetes, I imagine. Yes. Oh yeah. And even other chronic illnesses like hypertension, obesity, you know, uh-huh. yeah, other issues. I heard that obesity rates were really high there as well. Yeah, it's surprising because you, if you go like we attended one meeting one time, and I look around and I just realized like wow most of the people are overweight and um, you look at like the catering food you know you look at what's available in the stores and even if there are no studies I would automatically assume that that's probably why mm-hmm. um, because of what they eat mm-hmm. put, put two and two together mm-hmm. the highly processed foods that's right now you mentioned that it was part of the curriculum to uh, learn how to grow are you talking about learning how to grow outside of the greenhouses as well certain gardens that might grow in a in a short growing season that's not part of the curriculum um i imagine they would want to integrate that as well however during the summer the gr- the growing season is basically from may till like maybe early september so for half that time the students will be out of school however we did have one small project with adra as a partner as well uh, in Laksul, which is a community garden boxes. So it's in collaboration with other groups in the community as well, wherein there are five garden boxes built for any five households who are interested. So we supplied them with the, you know, the garden box, the soil, the seeds, and assisted them in planting their garden boxes, like in their lawns or backyards. And, and the idea behind the garden boxes is because the soil naturally is difficult to grow. Is that what you were saying, Michael? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty a, sandy. Yeah, I was gonna, it's a very sandy mm-hmm. soil, a lot, of, a lot of rocks. and Yeah. Not your fertile farmland, definitely right. not. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that, that you talked about this because this year it's one of our gift catalog items, isn't it, uh, Michael? That, yeah, that we have one uh, of our items in the gift catalog this year. People can air quotes, buy yeah. a garden box, and uh, the funds for that will go mm-hmm. towards our projects in, in Laxul. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Give to someone in need. Help reverse diabetes in mm-hmm. Laxul. Yeah. So if you want to buy a garden box for the Laxul uh, project, our, our project in Sioux Lookout, uh, you can go to adra.ca slash gift catalog, and you'll find it there. If you don't have 
the $90,000 for a greenhouse, you can still help <laughs> a family in one of these reservations near Sioux Lookout with a way to grow their own vegetables uh, to provide for their families. So thank you for joining us uh, for our podcast today. And Cree, thank you for uh, making the uh, drive in from Toronto to join us here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was really exciting learning about all the projects that we're doing up north. Yeah. And safe travels as you go back to Sioux Lookout. Yes, thank you. Thank you.